All right, so we're starting a new series this morning, and uh, but uh, before we get into it, well, let, just as an introduction to that, in 2008, Jacinda and I, we started a course of study. It was a Master's of Ministry degree through a, a university that was uh, based in Canada and uh, called St. Stephen's. Um, just a wonderful, wonderful program of of study and learning and personal development there. and um, But one of the first things that we had to do, it was a compulsory part of the course, was that we had to go on a trip through Greece and Turkey. I know, I know. Following in the footsteps of, you know, Paul the Apostle and John the Apostle. and I know, I know what you're thinking. I'm th- you're thinking, like, my degree wasn't that cool. It's <laughs> like... Um, but honestly, it's an amazing trip. Highly recommend doing something. Like that. And actually, I was just thinking about this. Like, if there was like ten, ten or more of us from here that wanted to do that trip, then we could we could do that trip. And um, wait, whoa, hands are going up all around the place. Um, so, um, if that's you, one of the things that there is on the news sheet, there's a tear off part of the news sheet there, and if you can you can write anything you like on that. So if you think like well, I'll be interested in that, you could fill that out and pop it in the letterbox up on the info area. If you're new here this morning, you'd like to say hello, you could fill that uh, that out as well. And one of the things we do for people that that do that, we send them a worship CD as a way of saying thanks for saying hi. So uh, so that's there. So but honestly, that kind of trip that just just changed our lives, it changed your life and. Some of the places that we went to, we landed first of all in a place called Thessaloniki. And if you're familiar with your Bible, um, there's a book in the Bible, um, a couple of books in the Bible uh, that are letters to the church um, there. Uh, the books are called Thessalonians. Uh, there's another place we went to called Philippi. And again, if you've read your Bible, there's a, a, a letter that was written to the church in Philippi called Philippians in your Bible. But there's another, one, another place that we went to called Corinth. And Corinth, again, there's a couple of books in the Bible, which are, again, letters to the churches there from Paul the Apostle, and that's called 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and the letters to the church there. And Corinth is a place that Paul the Apostle, he lived in for about 18 months, and he planted a church there, he worked there, he uh, met some cool people there, he got into trouble there. There's a book in the Bible called Romans. He wrote the book of Romans when he was in Corinth. And, um, but, and then about five years after he left, or maybe three to five years after he left, he wrote um, a letter back to the church. And that's the letter we have in the Bible called 1 Corinthians. So I'm going to give you a bit of a, a framework this morning for a few things. It might sound like a bit like a like class classroom, but um, it's going to be good. So we're... We are starting this new series today, and we're going to be going through this book of the Bible called 1 Corinthians, okay? And you're going to enjoy this. And you read through it, it talks about leadership, talks about humility, talks about sex, talks about freedom, talks about spiritual power, and talks about love. How does that sound? Sounds interesting? Yeah, okay, go. We're going to, and we're going to, we're calling this series Wisdom, Faith, and City Living. And uh, if you enjoy this today and you've got some friends who think, actually, this would be great. They, you know, I've got some people I know that would, would enjoy this. Then bring them along. Um, tell them to listen to this, today's message on the website because today's message just gives you a framework for understanding more of the rest of the book. 
And, um, but if you've got a friend, you could get them to listen to the message on the website and then bring them along next week. Or, or you could even invite them to night church t- tonight because um, we'll be doing the message again. So let me set the scene here for, for Corinth, okay? Are you up for a bit of learning? Okay, we're going to start with geography. I've got a little pointer here. You can get these from the Christian Ministry Supplies, $199. These are reeds that came out of the Nile from when Moses was put. No, this is actually just a stick I found over here before church. Okay. Okay, so let's just start here. Careful in the front row there. <laughs> get your, uh... So does anyone know what country Corinth is in? Just shout it out. Greece. All right, so here's it. Here's some places. Who's ever wondered where um, Moldova was? It's right there. But Italy, here's London, Spain. Down here you've got Libya and Egypt. Israel's just behind the laptop down there. Turkey. And here's Greece here. Okay, we got it? And you see all these little, I don't know if you, I can see it because I'm right up close, but you see all these little dots here. These are the Greek islands and these are the places where everyone goes on their holidays in the summertime. And, um, but in, in, uh, in ancient Greece, it used to, a lot, big chunk of this part of Turkey was all part of Greece as well. So it's a huge influence all through there. Um, so this is Greece. Okay, now let's, there it is there. So let's zoom in a little bit. Okay. All right. So remember I talked about Thessaloniki, Philippi is sort of over here somewhere. Athens is there. And Corinth is kind of right there. All right. It's quite interesting. Now, if we zoom in a little bit more, I can see all those. Okay, so, so this is it. Now, you can see it's really, really skinny just right there. That's really, really important. That's one of the key things is why Corinth was so interesting. It was that little skinny bit there. And this is, this is, um, this is called the Peloponnese Peninsula, and I, but I've put this up. This is a, um, a map out of the, um, I think it's something like Bible study maps. And um, because the place Achaia gets talked about about ten times through the through the New Testament, and if you ever like wonder what do they they keep talking about this place Achaia, well that's that that whole place there. Because so, the interesting thing was that the interesting thing <laughs> I get about to bang one of those to wake you all up. But the interesting thing um, back in ancient uh, Greece was that like if you go right back, like right back before. Before about 335 BC, Greece wasn't a country. It was just, a, but what was there was just a whole bunch of, they call them colonies or city states. So there was Athens, there was Corinth, there was one down here. Anyone know what that one was called? Sparta. Yeah. So Sparta. You've heard about Sparta, right? Eh? You've seen those movies? The other guys that kicked everyone else's backsides. Um, so, I feel like I'm. Um, <laughs> Okay, we might just put that down. It feels a bit silly. Um, so Corinth is about 80 kilometers west of Athens, okay? Um, and, uh, and what's interesting here is you think about it in terms of trade. Like if you, wanted, if, you, if you were bringing supplies in by ship, if you wanted to get up here, you had to go all the way around here sailing and back to get to, so to get from there all the way around is about 340 kilometres um, sailing. And so 
I'll tell you why that's important in a minute. But let's, um, so, so Corinth had ports on both sides, and it was such an important place. If we just dial back a couple of slides to the, to the big picture, to the big one, that one there. Um, so you can see how this is kind of the known world back in, in ancient, the time of ancient Greece. And so it's, it's just right in the middle of all the, all of the trade sort of, is, you know, this one's going that way, these ones are going that way. It's right in the middle there. So it was a really important place for commerce. Okay, let's go into it. Ready for a bit of history? Got the geography worked out? Okay. So like I said, before 340 BC, there was no Greece. 600 BC, the guy who was in charge of Corinth tried to build a canal through that. We'll go back to that skinny bit. He tried to build a canal. It's only about six and a half k's through that skinny bit there, and he failed. Um, so what they did instead, though, they built a ramp where they would drag the boats up and over. So, so that, was, that was the smart. So they just had a bunch of slaves pulling boats back and forth all day long, um, back and forth there. So they got it working out to move the boats back and forth. But as you can imagine, with trade... Like, it's all happening just right. There's a lot of action happening right there, right there. In 550 BC, Corinth formed an alliance with Sparta, which was smart because you've all seen the movie 300. You want those guys to be your friends, the hardcore guys. And then in 338 BC, something quite significant happened. There was this guy called Phil, um, Philip of Macedon, and he... um, was most famous because of his son, who was Alexander the Great. So Phil was a visionary. He had a vision for a united Greece with himself in charge. Okay. And he'd got news that Athens had just gone to war with Sparta, and Sparta had kicked their backsides, as they do. And so Athens was reeling, and Phil thought this was a great time to come down and go to war with Athens as well because they were reeling. And so he won that war. And then what he did, though, is he created this united Greece for the the first time, which they needed to do because the Persians were starting to get all too big for their boots and they were starting to try and go to war with everyone trying to conquer the world. So, So he got Greece together and got all geared up for a big war against the Persians. And just as that war got going... Philip of Macedon got assassinated by his bodyguard and his son Alexander took over leading this war against Persia. And he was 20 years old when that happened. And um, just interesting fact, uh, Alexander had Aristotle as one of his tutors. You may have heard of Aristotle, smart guy. Um, But Alexander, at 20 years old, then just proceeds to go and conquer the whole world. Just conquers the whole world. So he just goes, and he never, in his whole life, never lost a battle. So, interesting guy. 20 years old, goes in, so Persia, they get dealt to, and then Alexander thinking, well, okay, why stop here? <laughs> and then went, carried on going out west, carried on going out east, down into Africa, basically conquered the known world, got right out over to India, conquered, and then he, he only stopped because his troops were just going like, really? It's like, you know, I miss my family, we're miles from home, we've been beating people up for years and years and years now, you know, come on. And so, so that was, but one of the things that Alexander did 
which is important, is that he, he thought that the Greeks were the best and coolest people on the planet. And he says, I know, we'll make the whole world love what we love. So he implanted Greek culture every place he conquered. He planted Greek culture there. You know, the, um, the, the language, geometry, biology, philosophy, physics, history, poetry, and art. And he left people there that would plant that culture in every place he conquered. And so basically now the whole world is Greek. Okay, the whole world is now Greek. 200 years later, the Romans thought, no, nah, it's our turn now. We're going to take over the world. And uh, they're flexing their muscles. They come over to, Rome, uh, they come over to, to Greece. And um, unfortunately, they were a lot more brutal than you see in this picture. Um, in uh, 146 BC... Uh, there was a, a guy called Lucius Mummius. He besieged Corinth and eventually captured Corinth. And this will give you a picture of the brutality of the Romans. Kills every man in, in Corinth. The entire city kills every man, sells all the women and children into slavery, and burns the city to the ground. Corinth is gone. It's gone. It's done. Okay? Corinth is, is no more. Um, so how did, how, did this, how did Corinth get going again? Well, another hundred years later again, the Roman Emperor Julius Caesar, probably familiar with that name, he decides, no, we're going to rebuild Corinth, and it's going to be a... a uh, and basically what he wanted to do was to f- refound the city in his honour. So he wanted a city that was, that was named after him, so... And he also had plans to finish the canal going through, but uh, that didn't work for him either. He got assassinated before that could get started. Um, So it's just in 44 BC, 44 years before Jesus was around, that Corinth got fired back up again as a city. So it's this brand new city. When you think about all of these other big cities, they've been around for for centuries. I hope that's a good sound, eh? We really are looking after your kids, eh? They're having fun. I hope that's what's happening. Um, completely lost rolls up to now. That's great. New city. So you've got this new city. There's this, um, there was this expression called the Pax Romana, which basically means the peace of Rome. And because the whole of the known world was at peace, but only at peace because the Romans said you will be. So if anyone decided to, like, you know, fire up an uprising or rebel against the Romans, they would just squash it. You've sort of seen how brutal they are. And, um, but there was this, this seeming peace. But what that meant was that then trade could flourish and commerce could flourish. Everything could flourish again because people weren't worried about getting taken over by this crowd or that crowd or defending their city. And so you've got this, this place um, called, called Corinth, which is um, this, this new city that is just starting to thrive and uh, there was Romans there there was Greeks there was Jews it's been described as like the New York of its time because it's new it was thriving it was this the center for trade and commerce all sorts of cults and religions were there sounds like New York um, let me um, let me read a description of Corinth in the time of Paul the Apostle so this is 
this is when Paul the Apostle got there. It was about 100 years after Julius Caesar decided we're going to start the city up again. So the city's only 100 years old. Okay, and uh, so you don't have all of the aristocracy. You don't have all of the old money, you know, the big wealthy landowners that are controlling everything. It's just this new, vibrant city. Let me read you this from a book called Power Through Weakness by Timothy Savage. To sum up, first century Corinth differed greatly from other Mediterranean cities. Little in the city was more than a century old. Traditions were few, the aristocracy fluid, the society open. This suited the populace, mostly ambitious people of ultimately servile descent, eager to win respectability and power. In their hands, the economy exploded, and at a time when neighbouring cities were in decline. Corinth's location between two landmasses facilitated trade and precipitated the emergence of nouveau-rich merchants bankers, toll collectors, and fine craftsmen. The, Iths, the Isthmian and Caesarian games and a thriving entertainment in, inter, industry enhanced the appeal of Corinth, attracting hosts of visitors and swelling city coffers still more. Elegant buildings shot up, exotic goods filled the shops, and handsome attire was met at every turn. Corinth had become the envy of the empire, a city of pleasure, a tribute to human-made splendor, a place where assertiveness and pride reap great reward. So this is Corinth, a city with buzz and growth and opportunity. We've, got a, we've actually got a photo of, modern, of Corinth. It, no, 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 no. It's the one that you don't think it is the one. That's it there. That's Corinth, okay? It's humming. Okay, it's actually not a real photo of Corinth. It's, um, um, they didn't have cameras back then. But it's that kind of feel. There's plenty of people... There's plenty of people that were there. It was thriving. It was buzzing, growing. It was an exciting place. And, uh, and this is the place where Paul, this, this great uh, church leader, church planter, he arrives only about probably 17, 18 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Paul arrives in this place. And uh, we, we can read about, let's read about when uh, his, his time in Corinth here. It's, it's in Acts 18. It should come up on, the, on the, uh, the screen here. And all of the scriptures that we're doing today are out of the Message Bible. And I know that um, why I'm doing it out of the Message Bible is because I know that for many of you that have perhaps been Christians for uh, a long time and have your favorite you know, translation of the Bible, just giving it a fresh look at again with the expectation that you'll see things with fresh eyes. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay, so Acts chapter 18. After Athens, Paul went to Corinth. This is where he discovered Aquila, a Jew born in Pontus, and his wife Priscilla. They had just arrived from Italy, part of the general expulsion of Jews from Rome ordered by Claudius. Paul moved in with them, and, and they worked together at their common trade of tent making. But every Sabbath, he was at the meeting place, doing his best to convince both Jews and Greeks about Jesus. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, so that's the area of the north of Greece, Paul was able to give all his time to preaching and teaching, doing everything he could to persuade the Jews that Jesus was in fact God's Messiah. But no such luck. All they did was argue contentiously and contradict him at every turn. Totally exasperated, Paul had finally had it with them and gave it up as a bad job. 
Have it your way, then, he said. You've made your bed, now lie in it. From now on, I'm spending my time with the other nations. He walked out and went to the home of Titius Justus, a God-fearing man who lived right next to the Jews' meeting place. But Paul's efforts with the Jews weren't a total loss. For Crispus, the meeting place president, put his trust in the master. His entire family believed with him. In the course of listening to Paul, a great many Corinthians believed and were baptized. One night, the master spoke to Paul in a dream. Keep it up and don't let anyone intimidate or silence you. No matter what happens, I'm with you and no one is going to be able to hurt you. You have no idea how many people I have on my side in this city. It's great encouragement from God. That was all he needed to stick it out. He stayed another year and a half faithfully teaching the word of God to the Corinthians. So he's basically just spent this year and a half planting this church. Tough start, which often it can be with planting churches. Tough start. Um, and then things started to happen as, uh, as God led him. But when Gallio, Gallio was governor of Achaia province, the Jews got up a campaign against Paul, hauled him into court and filed charges. This man is seducing people into acts of worship that are illegal. And just as Paul was about to defend himself, Gallio interrupted and said to the Jews, If this was a matter of criminal conduct, I would gladly hear you out. But it sounds to me like one more Jewish squabble, another of your endless hair-splitting quarrels over religion. Take care of it on your own time. I can't be bothered with this nonsense. And he cleared them out of the courtroom. Now the street rabble turned on Sosthenes, the new meeting place president, and beat him up in plain sight of the court. Gallio didn't raise a finger. He could not have cared less. Paul stayed a while longer in Corinth, and then it was time to take leave of his friends. Saying his goodbyes, he sailed for Syria, Priscilla and Aquila with him. So that's a very brief look at Paul's time in, in Corinth there. So Paul, you know, from there he travels to Ephesus in, in Western Turkey. And, um, and while he was in Ephesus, because he then stayed in Ephesus for probably the next three, three years, and while he was there, he writes back to this new church. In Corinth, so, so have you got? I'm hoping just to paint this big picture that's going to set us up for this series. So you're getting a feel for this place of Corinth. It's this you know vibrant place. Um, everyone's out, you know, they're charging ahead. Entrepreneurs trying to get ahead in life, trying to make something of, of life. Not a lot of um, aristocracy, and um, and and in the midst of it, it's there's all of these cults and religions that are there. So there's spiritual ideas flowing and flying around. And, and Paul's in there, he plants this church, a number of people come to faith and believe and are baptized. Wonderful, wonderful story. And uh, the Jews are getting upset. They don't like it. They're, they're giving them strife. And after 18 months, Paul says, okay, guys, I think you'll be all right now. We've pointed you to Jesus. I've taught you now for like 18 months. Um... I'm off, but we'll keep in touch. So the church in Corinth is sort of going, okay, you know, so the the leaders are all only been Christians for the most 18 months, probably about 12 months, probably six months. Um, Brand new Christians running this church. And, uh, And then what we find is Paul's 
here's some bits and pieces about the church. I'm, I'm going to write to you guys and uh, with some, some encouragement and some help. And that's 1 Corinthians. Okay, so we're ready? Big intro, eh? And again, um, from the Message Bible. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. I, Paul, have been called and sent by Jesus, the Messiah, according to God's plan, along with my friend Sosthenes. I think Sosthenes got smart around getting beat up, and he thought, I'm going with Paul. I'm, you know, I'm going I'm to go traveling with you. I didn't, didn't enjoy getting beat up back in uh, Corinth. I sent this letter to you in God's church at Corinth. Believers cleaned up by Jesus and set apart for a God-filled life. I include in my greeting all who call out to Jesus, wherever they live. He's their master as well as ours. May all the gifts and benefits that come from God our Father and the Master Jesus Christ be yours. Every time I think of you, and I think of you often, I thank God for your lives of free and open access to God given by Jesus. There's no end to what has happened in you. It's beyond speech, beyond knowledge. The evidence of Christ has, clearly, has been clearly verified in your lives. Just think, you don't need a thing. You've got it all. All God's gifts are right in front of you as you wait expectantly for our Master Jesus to arrive on the scene for the finale. And not only that, but God himself is right alongside to keep you steady and on track until things are all wrapped up by Jesus. God, who got you started in this spiritual adventure, shares with us the life of his Son and our Master Jesus. He will never give up on you. Never forget that. Wouldn't you love to like, just you know, write to your friends and just be able to like, encourage them with, you know, with words like that? It's just wonderful. Wonderful, encouraging start from a, from a pastoral heart. Paul's telling them that he wants God's blessings for them. He thanks God for them. He sees God at work in their lives. And he's encouraging that God is with them and, and will keep them on the right track and that he'll never give up on them. Wonderful, wonderful encouragement. The first nine verses of First Corinthians. Now tell me this. Have you ever heard of a poo sandwich? Sometimes it's called something different. Have you ever heard of a poo sandwich? Okay, let me tell you about a poo sandwich. A piece of bread, and then some poo, and then another piece of bread. And what that expression is about is that it's this thing that they talk about in business. Is that if, you're gonna, if someone, you want to give someone some correction, start with something nice, and then give it to them, the thing that they're doing wrong, and then finish with something nice again. Okay? That's an education for you this morning. It's a poo sandwich. You can imagine what some people call it. Um... So, 1 Corinthians is kind of like a poo sandwich. And with very thin pieces of bread. <laughs> he's nine verses into it, and then he's going, I, I, I've got some things I need to talk to you guys about. Like, um, it's almost like a club sandwich. You know, the lots of bread, you know. There's a little bit of encouragement. There's a whole lot of like, guys, come on. What are you doing? Didn't you know? Did you forget so quickly the things I taught you? And what about that thing? And you know, oh, and then another little bit of encouragement, another thin little piece of bread. And but what about this thing that you guys are doing? Come on! But before we get to what Paul's wanting to sort out, let's just remember again the sort of people that are in this church. You know that this new church in this in this relatively new city. There's a lot, of, uh, a lot of Gentiles there, which is the people that aren't Jews, and so uh, no faith background, really. 
um, the Jewish people that were there, they, they didn't want to have a bar of, of Jesus. So it's mainly the Gentiles are in this church. So very thin faith background. And a lot of these people that were in Corinth were there to make it. You know, they're not um, people that have been landowners for, for centuries and um, not a long tradition of knowing God. People wanted to get, a, get ahead in life, just make something of themselves. People from all, all different, different countries, lots of different countries there. Um, and, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, when you think about people trying to get ahead, people from lots of different countries, it sounds a little bit like Auckland. <laughs> Let's just put your hand up if you weren't born in Auckland. That's probably my, like probably three quarters, probably three quarters of you not born in Auckland. Um, you know, and like I'm guessing that most of you, are, you know, you're trying to trying to earn money to pay off mortgages or or to, to save to buy a house or to or even just to like pay the fees for the kids' sports teams or, uh, you know, or, or trying to just get ahead and, you know, I've done all the study, I need to sort of get ahead in my career so I can earn more, so I can pay off my student loan, it's, you know, or just to, or get a visa so I can even just stay in the country here. Um, it's probably a lot of people like, like us. No, not a lot of old money, a growing city, opportunities and a, a growing economy. But let's, let's keep going here. What is it that provokes Paul to write to these guys? I mean, there's some, there's, there is a number of things he's going to get into, um, and, you know, including some pretty interesting things around some sort of deviant sexual activity. But he starts with a key issue and the heart behind it. A key issue. You've got to hear that he starts with a key issue. It doesn't seem like it's as big as some of these other things, but the heart behind it is really the punchline, one of the punchlines of what he's trying to communicate here. And you've got to remember he's, he's, he's saying this to a proud and sensual materialistic culture. And, you know, Corinthians were known as people that like to boast. Okay, so you're ready for the bit between the bread? Okay. Verse 10. I have a serious concern to bring up with you, my friends. Using the authority of Jesus, our master, I'll put it as urgently as I can. You must get along with each other. You must learn to be considerate of one another, cultivating a life in common. I bring this up because some from Chloe's family brought a most disturbing report to my attention, that you're fighting amongst yourselves. I'll tell you exactly what I was told. You're all picking sides and go around saying, I'm on Paul's side, or I'm for Apollos, or... Peter is my man, or I'm in the Messiah group. I ask you, has the Messiah been chopped up in little pieces so we each can have a relic all our own? Was Paul crucified for you? Was a single one of you baptized in Paul's name? This is Paul that's writing it. I was not involved in any of your baptisms, oh, except for Crispus and Gaius. And on getting this report, I'm sure glad I wasn't. At least no one can go around saying he was baptized in my name. I'll come to think of it, I also baptized Stefanus' family. But as far as I can recall, that's it. Funny little side note. Eh? Oh, hang on, that's right, there was that other guy. God didn't send me out to collect a following for myself, but to preach the message of what he has done, collecting a following for him. 
And he didn't send me to do it with a lot of fancy rhetoric of my own, lest the powerful action at the center, Christ on the cross, be trivialized into mere words. The message that points to Christ on the cross seems like sheer silliness to those hell-bent on destruction. But for those of us on the way of salvation, it makes perfect sense. This is the way God works, and most powerfully as it turns out. It is written, I'll turn conventional wisdom on its head. I'll expose so-called experts as crackpots. So where can you find someone truly wise, truly educated, truly intelligent in this day and age? Hasn't God exposed it all as pretentious nonsense? Since the world and all its fancy wisdom never had a clue when it came to knowing God. God and his wisdom took delight in using what the world considered dumb, preaching of all things, to bring those who trust him into the way of salvation. While Jews clamor for miraculous demonstrations and Greeks go in for philosophical wisdom, we go right on proclaiming Christ, the crucified. Jews treat this like an anti-miracle and Greeks pass it off as absurd. But to us who are personally called by God himself, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's ultimate miracle and wisdom all wrapped up in one. Human wisdom is so tinny, so impotent, next to the seeming absurdity of God. Human strength can't begin to compete with God's weakness. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. He's he's definitely left the bread behind, isn't he? I don't see much of the, many of the brightest and the best among you. Not many influential, not from, many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses, chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies? That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate and a fresh start comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. So Chloe's, Chloe's family, some of you might go, well, they're a bunch of telltales. I, I kind of like Chloe's family. I, you know, I think they're more like the peacekeepers. So they've brought this news to Paul that like, Our church, this church that you started, we're just not getting along. Now, Ephesus is about 180 kilometers sailing from Corinth. So they've had to make an effort to get over there and to tell Paul. It's like, things aren't right. Um, But what I like about Chloe's family is that they've got it. They know that what's happening there is not okay. It's not the way of love. It's not the way of Jesus. And they're going, oh, no, our church is, it's, it's in trouble. We need help. And they probably tried to talk to them, but they just didn't have that spiritual authority that Paul had. So they, did the, they took the trip. And they went and found Paul, and they said, you've got to help us. You've got to help us. You know, we've, we know that following Jesus is all about love, and love means that we've got to get along, and we're just not getting along. You know, this, we talked about this Corinthian sort of get-ahead culture. It's kind of snuck into the church. I'm better than you because I 
learnt about Jesus from Paulus when he came out. Oh, no, no, I'm better than you because I come from Jerusalem and I got to hear Peter speaking about, uh, about Jesus. And he was actually with Jesus. But I was around when the church first, the very first, the very first service, the, even the preview service of the church, I was there. I was right there, right from the start, and been around Paul the whole time. So I'm more important than you. But, but I went to a John Wimber conference in the 1980s. Changed my life. Chest puffs out a little bit more. Oh, but. But I, I experienced the Toronto blessing when it came through, and God touched me. But, yeah, but I, oh, I've been around for I heard Billy Graham speak. You know, I went to hear Billy Benny Hinn, and I went to hear Bill Johnson or Joyce Meyer or Reinhard Bonnke or Jacinda Lilly. <laughs> Woo! Well, I go to a vineyard church. Well, I went to the Vineyard Church when it first got started. Before they were even at the school. And Paul's going, no, stop. Can you hear it? Can you hear him? It's just stop. You're fighting out amongst yourselves about, about who's your mentor or your pastor or your teacher. And he's just like going, there's my paraphrase. He's going, you dummies. You dummies. What are you doing? For a start, your eyes are just in the wrong place. And then he tells us the punchline. Did you, did you see it? There? He says, it's all about Jesus. It's always, always been about Jesus. You know that, that intro, that piece of bread at the start? Paul uses Jesus' name nine times in nine verses. It's always about Jesus. If you're looking for wisdom, if you're looking for what's smart, if you're looking at the most important thing about being a, being a Christian, God's wisdom is Jesus. Verse 18 again, it says, the message that points to Christ on the cross seems like sheer silliness to those hell-bent on destruction. But for those on the way of salvation, it makes perfect sense. This is the way God works, and most powerfully, as it turns out. For those of you that have been reading a Bible for a long time, you made the, a, a, a more traditional um, translation says this for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God and then Paul says look at yourselves you're not the brightest you're not the, you're not the best boy talk about forced humility eh? <laughs> you know look at yourselves you're not the richest you're not the most influential but God chose you. God chose you, regardless of your background or your stature. And he opened up his arms to you and offered his forgiveness. And he said, come into the family. doesn't matter what you've done. My love and salvation are yours through Jesus. Tom Wright, uh, who a number of you may be familiar, again, another uh, author, wonderful um, English author and um, church leader over there, a theologian. He's got a book. Um, he's, done a, he's done a number of commentaries on the New Testament. And if you're people that love to learn, 
These are wonderful books to get a hold of. He's done obviously one on First Corinthians, but his books are called Paul for Everyone, you know, Paul the, the Apostle. And in he, it he says this, he says, what he wants the Corinthians to get hold of most of all is what it means to have Jesus at the middle of your story, your life, your thoughts, your imagination. To have Jesus at the middle of your story, your life, your thoughts, your imagination. If they can do that, all the other issues that rush to and fro through the letter will sort themselves out. This is, it. This is the punchline. It's Jesus at the center. So Corinthian church, so Coast Vineyard church, remember where we were when, when God chose us, when he called us into this God life. Just ordinary people. Just ordinary people being called to join our lives with an extraordinary God. Ordinary people being called to join our lives with an extraordinary God. So we can, we can take from this what Paul was encouraging the church back then to take from it. Stay humble and keep Jesus right in the center. <laughs> you know, write that out. Stick it on your computer screen or on your dashboard or on your shaving mirror. You know, Stay humble and keep Jesus at the center. And if you are tempted to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. Okay, so we've kicked off 1 Corinthians. Wisdom, faith, and city living. Why don't we all stand together? Why don't we stand together? I like Paul. I like the fact that he just tells it like it is. I don't know if I would have known him. I liked him if I'd have bumped into him. He seems like a pretty full-on guy. But I sure love, love the heart. I love the, the call that he has. Just wanting people to, to, to know Jesus more and to, to live a life that is, um, is for their best, you know, uh, under God. You know, you might be here today yourself feeling that um, you know that you're just not not good enough to come to God I know that for many of you are, are believers and um, but you may be here this morning feeling like I'm just not good enough to come to God I look at myself I'm just God is so good and loving and holy and pure and then there's me and if that's you this morning could you just hear Paul's encouragement He's saying none of us, none of us were. None of us are, none of us were. We're just, he's basically saying we're just nobodies that God chose to love. And every one of us that God chose to love. I love that, um, the way that the message puts it there, talking about how God offers a clean slate and a fresh start. Offers a clean slate and a fresh start. And that's yours today if you want it. It's yours today if you want it. A clean slate and a fresh start. And what I'm just going to ask that we all just just close our eyes. And if there is anyone this morning that wants to say yes to a clean slate and a fresh start, why don't you just why don't you just pop your hand up? Why don't you just pop your hand up? Thank you. Anyone else?
a clean slate and a fresh start. For those of us that have chosen to be followers of Jesus, what a, what a great prayer, no matter where we're at. You know, God, today is, is another day for, for a fresh start, even as a follower of you. A fresh start to be able to place you once again at the center, to put my own agendas and plans to one side and step into the to the fullness of having Jesus at the center. So why don't you just take a moment, just in this quiet moment at the, as we finish now, just, uh, just, just in your own heart and mind, just to, um, just to come before God. I know we've already done that today with, with communion. It's just another opportunity again, just to say yes to having Jesus at the, at the center. I just feel like there's some people here that, um, you're, you know, you're believers and you're, you're followers of Jesus, but you're just feeling a little distant for God. And I just encourage you, just, I'm just going to pray for you now, just a general prayer. But if that's you, just like I say, just open your heart to, uh, to, to receiving something from God as, as I pray. But God, I, I invite your, your presence to come now. I invite your Holy Spirit to come now. God, where there are people that are here this morning that are, are feeling distant from you, that are feeling a little... Um, unsure about how to draw near to you. God, I pray that by the work of your Spirit and the power of your Spirit now, you would, you would meet people, God, and you would work in them by your Spirit in a way that, uh, that they know that you are near, that they know that you, uh, your arms are open to them and that you are, you are near. The kingdom of God is near. God, I pray that your presence would come to them now. Your presence would come. That they would experience your love. They would know that you're near.
God, thank you for your promises that you have, that we all have your promises that are for us, that, uh, that as we draw near to you, that you will draw near to us, God, that your arms are open for us wide, no matter what we do, no matter how we stumble, no matter what's, what we're going through, God, that you are with us and you are for us. And that we are yours, we are loved by you, we are known by you, we're accepted by you, we're blessed by you. God, I just thank you. I thank you for, for life in you. I thank you that, uh, that somehow you've made, us, you've made, no, made known to us the wisdom of God that seems like foolishness to so many. But you've made known to us the wisdom of God that is salvation through Jesus. Thank you. And I pray over this next few weeks as we explore, you know, the, uh, the challenges of this, uh, this church from 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world, God, that you would open our hearts so that we would learn what you would have for each one of us over here in New Zealand and in, in this time, God, that you would we'd be open to what you would have for us, God. We're so grateful that your word is, is living and active, God. It, uh, it cuts to the heart. It, uh, it, uh, it speaks to us. It leads us. It guides us. It provides us hope and joy and, and uh, wisdom and direction and, uh, and draws us near to you. God, we thank you for your presence here this morning. We thank you that you're a good God and that you're with us. Amen. Amen.